Hello and welcome to episode 259 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and if you listened last week, you probably figured out what the topic is today. We are talking about Final... No, no. Wrong fantasy. We are talking... <laughs> you did that last week. <laughs> I think I did too, yeah. I, I, was it a joke both times, or one time, or neither time? I, the, the guess is yours. But uh, we are talking about Fantasy Star 4, the end of the millennium again this week to talk about the end game maybe some overall themes maybe a little bit more about the development history and music and stuff we didn't get into in the first episode and joining me today is the same panel as last time starting with alana hakes hi everyone and mark chen hey how's it going it's going okay you know I, i've i've been better uh <laughs> but we're recording episode 259 and that uh about a game that I uh, you know truthfully I really liked. Like I was a little apprehensive about playing a big Genesis RPG on a weird three button controller, but it ended up just fine. Um Alana, this was also your first time playing Fantasy Star 4. Let's have you and I give our sort of uh like like what was your reaction to sort of the end game overall impression, abridged version? Uh, do you know, I wish I'd played it on a Mega Drive now because that three button you're describing the Mega Drive <laughs> controller is such a throwback to me. That thing is so cool. Um, but yeah, this was my first time and I mean, the game overall is pretty consistent throughout. Like I was pr- on a pretty consistent high from the beginning to end with like no real, no real hiccups. Um, I truly love this game. I've come out of it mm. on a bit of a high because... And this may come from my biases, like, growing up with this console, like, there's just something about the Sega Mega Drive that I love, and I don't think you'll ever be able to take it out of me. And I think Fantasy Star really kind of brought all that out for me. Like, there's some really cool moments, it's kind of edgy at times, it's kind of light-hearted at times, and I think it balances everything really well, and yeah, I don't really have too many bad things to say, but I'm sure we'll get into the finer details as we go along. Right, and I'm... From a similar position to you, as uh, that I really, really liked this game and came out overall with a very positive impression. But unlike you, if I mean, I don't really have any Genesis Mega Drive nostalgia at all. And like playing this on the Genesis Mini, uh, which is a great little machine, honestly, I have had a lot of fun even just watching watching the like opening demos in that thing, and then <laughs> listening to the menu music. Oh yeah, Kashiro. No, no joke, listening to the menu music of that thing was almost worth the thirty-three dollars I paid. <laughs> <laughs> would but, it have been better if you'd had that giant controller from E3 though? Maybe. <laughs> that was like, <laughs> like trying to figure out Streets of Rage 2 on that was uh was amusing. That was um uh uh Cody and I, Cody from the news team uh trying that. Cory. Uh, Cory, right. Oh man, I just can't get I, that's not the first time I'm going to mix up someone's name in this episode because <laughs> oh, like there there's a lot of four na- four letter characters that we deal with in the second half. Sorry, Cory. But anyway, um but, but I don't really have positive nostalgia for the Genesis slash Mega Drive. In fact, if anything, I have a slight, like, you know, uh, flashbacks from the old console wars. The last time I cared about the console wars yeah. was, the, was that decade. And, like, um, getting the Genesis Mini, like, I, I, wait for it, I waited for it to get cheap, was a little bit, I, I don't know, <laughs> like, uh, like walking behind enemy lines like i'm like oh this is like it, it was it was completely different and foreign to me from the weird three button controller to the unusual bass and all the soundtracks to the uh i don't know if there's one thing i would say about genesis games is that they're consistently really um it like emotively animated to the point of almost seeming over animated because i'm used to snes sprites 
but <laughs> but mm. I got comfortable with Fantasy Star Four like very shortly after starting it, and it was just consistently fun and interesting right through the end. And uh, I, I was very, I'm very very satisfied. This is an excellent RPG of its era, and if it was a Super Nintendo game, I would probably count it highly among Super Nintendo games. <laughs> but I it's interesting. Uh, Sorry, no, no 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 you go. Ahead. I was going to say, actually, you brought up sprite work, and I was just thinking on the fly, like, um, how, like, Super Nintendo sprites are so expressive. Like, I could think of Chrono Trigger's expressions in Final Fantasy VI, you know, when, like, Locke's like, oh, no, I'm a treasure hunter. But then in Fantasy Star, you've got, like, the really... The sprite models themselves on the map and on screen outside of battle are, like, fairly inexpressive, but then you've got all those panels and that. So it's got a really different presentation style as well, which makes it really unique. I think that's cool. I I always think that it looks um, a bit... Uh, a bit like the UK run on Transformers because it's got like a, an almost grittier feel to it. Um, yeah, just just a, a lot more uh, in a way a more mature and sophisticated art style to the enemies and to to the characters when you're in battle and things like that that I don't think you see as often with SNES work. <laughs> Calling Genesis mature and sophisticated and uh, versus what's on the SNES is. Hard disagree, but <laughs> I mean, you being a Sega kid growing up, I guess that would make sense. But like when I was thinking of of like the of like the uh, of the high, the heavily animated things, like I was thinking of things like Earthworm Jim or Comic Zone that are that just had yeah. very stylized sprites with a ton of frames. And like, even so, Sonic the Hedgehog, yeah, like the like wobbling animations and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, but mm. I, I think that maybe just the, the the mostly Square or Enix RPGs I played on the SNES have like good looking sprites that are made with maybe fewer frames of animation than what I saw in the battle in battles on Fantasy Star 4. It's a good RPG that has, you know, I think themes and ideas and gameplay that fit its time and is overall a strong package. But uh let's go into the story a little bit cuz like we like we stopped talking right before one of the big twists of the character Rune uh visits the Esper Manor of which another character Kyra is a resident and the great sage Lutz that's been alive for 1,000 years actually is Rune. <laughs> because, yep. because Lutz, um, the original Lutz from 1,000 years ago, preserved his memories in some kind of AI or some kind of uh, repository. And he, uh, the original Lutz, has had a series of inheritors or, uh, or sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not really protégés. Uh, but, but descendants. A, I mean, are we sure that they're blood descendants, though? <laughs> I, I don't think they are. They're yeah. they're essentially doing the Dread Pirate Roberts thing. Yeah. Um, right. Like, like, but with, but, like, passing on a spiritual power, I guess. Yeah, I think so. Or, or, uh, or a spiritual power held by technology. Because uh, um, Rune... I'm not, and I'm still not sure how Rune, like, was able to travel between Motavia and Azolus without the use of a spaceship, or at least without, with a spaceship unknown to us. Um, and he, they mentioned that he's the fifth generation Lutz, which means maybe he's been around for a few hundred years, if, if, yeah. if uh, five Lutzes ago was a thousand years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. So Rune isn't exactly Lutz, but he, is, but he holds the mantle of Lutz, which is very important, and, uh, which means Rune is, like they were hinting at it before, but he's definitely privy to knowledge outside the rest of the party, and is at least aware of some of what uh, uh, the dark, dark force or profound darkness is. 
after Rune sort of touches the Lutz ball or whatever it is, and <laughs> and and uh, knows and and is aware of what they where they have to go next, they go to Gremio's temple, which is the original temple where uh, the the best character used to used to work at. Why? <laughs> Raja, that's oh man. I'm see. I told you I was gonna forget names this whole podcast. Uh, yeah, Raja's old home, Gramio's temple. But right when they're trying to negotiate taking the torch from the temple to burn down the trees to get to Garabrook Tower to stop the plague and the snowstorm, since we're starting to get into layers of plot here, um, <laughs> three masked men steal the torch and go off to somewhere called Air Castle. And I, I think if you've played previous Fantasy Star games, you already know what Air Castle is, or maybe Fulgrim. Oh, yeah. It's Fantasy Star 1, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. Fantasy Star 1. Um, it is actually the most frustrating dungeon in Fantasy Star 1. Because in that game, uh, Air Castle is presented, like all dungeons, in that like pseudo 3D perspective uh, as you go down hallways. First person, and yeah. And you can't see things to the side of you, like they're always the same tiles, unless it's a unless it's a hallway. There's a door you need to find in air in the air castle, which means you have to procedurally go through part of the map, turning to look right or left the entire time, oh, tile geez. by tile, or you will not find it. And mm. even hearing the air castle mentioned in this one just gave me horrible flashbacks to that. <laughs> I bet. And the music and everything. I mean, like, yeah. I know, I mean, obviously you go to air castle by way of um, ship, um, but uh, I believe the map is one-to-one with the original Fantasy Star, I think. I believe Stephen Myrink brought this up on an episode yeah. of Rhythm yeah. Encounter. Like, that dungeon is specifically made to match the original map in the original game. But obviously... It's probably still the most frustrating dungeon in Fantasy Star 4. Um, it's very, very long. Um, it, yes. the, it's, it's not, you know, there's longer dungeons in other games, but, like, this is the one that I spent the most time in. And, um, yeah. yeah, it's just a bit windy. Um, but... yeah, and g- given, like, how Fantasy Star dungeons love to have dead ends, it's just like, ah, now I have to fight, like, yeah. three random encounters to get out of this cul-de-sac. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I don't have a lot of affection for 16-bit first-person dungeons. That makes me think of uh, games like Arcana, which is not an mm. episode that, of Retro Encounter that's going to happen anytime, anytime soon, let me tell you. <laughs> I'm going to add it to the list. And uh, this was a little bit... Uh, a little bit weird and d- difficult and had a lot of wi- uh, winding corridors that kind of all look the same, whether you're just inside the castle or on, on the, one of the ramparts of the castle. And mm-hmm. navigating a unforgiving ver- first-person version of that seems like a nightmare. So, And it almost was. It almost was. That was the thing. <laughs> they were going to put 3D dungeons in this, and then budget and time was like, no, sorry, we can't do that. Oh, and I'm God. like... Hmm. blessings in disguise guys oh jesus yeah i mean i was i accidentally warped out of air castle twice as well before i hit the boss the mid boss so i had to run the dungeon three times (laughs) which is fine like i leveled up enough and i was Mm -hmm. over leveled as a result but i think one of the more annoying things about this is you've got kyra at this point which is fine you know she can do um skill heals and things but you don't have roger who has a ton of TP and all the group, the best spells, and yeah. has the utility to do it. Whereas Rika, who has, I think she has Gires and stuff, or what's it called, Gisa, um, at this point, yeah. um, like she burns out of MTP so quickly that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know. and you don't have Miracle or anything. 
I think Raja and Rika basically have all of the same healing techs, but Raja has way more MP, I'm sorry, way more TP, and a bunch of healing skills that supplement those. So, yep. uh, so like, Kira is a little bit more offense, because she can hit, use those those all-hitting slasher moves, which are, which are pretty okay, but yeah. uh, it's nothing compared to the healing battery that Raja is. So, mm-hmm. uh, um, and, and also, Rika's a pretty good offensive attacker, and having her heal a lot means she's attacking less, which is a bit of a bummer. So, yeah, yeah n- not my favorite party uh, going through Air Castle, and on top of that, it, like, and the, the, the enemies, I think, are, you know, moderate difficulty. But the yeah. um, the most annoying part is navigating it, and the second most annoying part is those three masked guys that stole the torch as a, as a mid-boss, because they burn you with a really strong all-hitting attack until you kill one of them. And yep. uh, this is another one of those boss fights that I, uh, I, I did do successfully, but... Um, I, I had a, I had one character dead at the end because I just I, I just couldn't handle their offense for two turns or however long it took me to kill one of them. Uh, I, yeah. th- I don't remember who it was because I, I I beat this game about a week ago by now. I, I think I think it was Rune, but I don't 100 percent remember. But it was a you know a, as far as the boss fights in this game go uh, on the challenging side. Yeah, yeah, one of the harder ones, definitely. Um, and there is a there is a healing point halfway through this dungeon, which is good. And mm-hmm. I died a few times to it, but like I was lucky because I'm playing it on the PS4. I, you do have like a quick save option, so I could just if I thought I was going to fail or I thought nope, this isn't going well, I just did quick load and I could redo it straight away. Whereas if you don't, like you can save anywhere on the world map in this game, but you cannot save in dungeons. Right. So you'd have yeah. to redo the entire thing. So I can only imagine how much harder it would have been, you know, had... Yeah. I, I think Air Castle is definitely, like, the boss fight uh, is where I learned to absolutely abuse team-up attacks because yeah. by that point yeah. I, had, I had remembered that Grand Cross exists. Yeah. And you just spam that on one of them and it's like, okay, get this guy dead as fast as possible or we're, we're screwed. I didn't use yeah. combos a lot of the game, but I did use Grand Cross as soon as... Uh, you know, as soon as Rune got a couple uses of his uh, of that holy spell, is, is it is it like Highness or Heres? FS. FS. Uh, that it, was yeah. It, yeah. I was confusing it with his wind spell, which all, which has an equally nonsensical name. Um, yes. I, th- I think that one starts. <laughs> I think that one starts with an H. Don't, don't worry. It's it's pronounced Tandelay, not Tandel. <laughs> but they never tell you that. Oh. Uh, Why? Because Why Fancy indeed. Star loves nonsense names. I mean, it's space, so it has to be nonsense, doesn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Well, whatever. I, uh, I I don't think I was using... I, I, did, I think I only had, like, one or two uses of FS when I was uh, going through this, so I didn't really start using those combos until one or two dungeons after this. But the combo system is... Uh, I think it's mostly discovery-based. I don't think they tell you about any of them in the context of the game. But I did a couple of them by accident... Uh, just throughout the game, like, like, where did that attack come from? Oh, it must be yep. some hidden thing. And then yeah. I, uh, and then around when I was doing the last couple dungeons of the game, I did check a guide and saw, oh, I can use, uh, I can combine um, one of Rune's fire spell with the missile spell out of Ren and get a pretty good fire missile spell. And and, and I, I used a bunch of them when I was sort of leveling mm. up for the final boss. But the... Uh, the combo and and macro system, because I mean they're which are not exactly related, but macros are a much easier way of creating the combo you want. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's pretty interesting. A, a macro. I don't know if we went into it last episode. Maybe we just alluded to it. Basically, it's a preset 
set of commands that let you choose the order in which your characters act uh, and then have them do those attacks in a row. But if your speed stat or your initiative roll or whatever isn't perfect, uh, like the enemies might all go ahead of you if if you have a slow character at the beginning of the macro, or they might they might interrupt uh, the macro and and mess up your combo because uh, combos only occur when the appropriate skills happen consecutively perfectly. So so the macro system is not perfect for the player, but it's really really handy. And at the end of the game, I had around seven or eight macros. Um, yeah, <laughs> what, I one? kind of abuse them quite yeah. a lot. Like, there's the really basic one I think that Mark brought up last episode, like the fire, the double fire one or something like that. And I, I, I think it's I think it's name. fire, ice, and wind back to back to back in That's any order right. it gives you it gives you a nice tri attack one. Yeah, and I use Blizzard a lot as well. But I think one of the... I think you're right, it is discovery-based most of the time. But I think the really cool thing about this, doing a little bit of digging, is that um, most of them have multiple combinations that you can use. Like, some Mm -hmm, of them, like, Grand Cross only have one. But, like, there are... Blizzard has got, like, you can use this level water spell and this dark spell, or you can use this water spell and this fire spell or something like that. Mm -hmm. Just giving me the option to do that instead of choosing every skill individually was just... Great, like I, uh, I welcome systems like this. It was really cool. Yeah. Definitely, I, I, I do wish it was hinted at a bit more. I guess in game because like the hunter's guild serves very little purpose except to give you your side quests. And I always just wanted like, why can't there just be like a tutorial guy there who gives you hints like combining yeah. this and that could make this happen? I don't know if it will, but that's up to you to find out. I think yeah, there's I think a. So. I think there's a couple of those in the university town at the very beginning, but I'm not. Ah. But, but I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure they tell you all about macros and combos. I think they just tell you that they exist. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. To do like a quick comparison to, ironically, last month's game journal, Persona Two, which you can. It's not macro system, That's right. but you can like tell what like tell the characters what order to go in, and you set up fusion spells by putting the right spells next mm-hmm. to each other or the right skills. Like, isn't I feel one of like them Persona literally? Th- isn't one of them literally called Grand Cross? I mean, the one that uses all the ultimate skills of the ultimate personas is yeah, and I got yeah, in a pretty right. lengthy discussion about that. But um, <laughs> but, um yeah, uh, it's. It's really interesting comparing it because I, Fan- Fantasy Star Four's like macro system is really good. Like you said, you can have like seven or eight different combos all set up. Whereas with Persona Two, you have to go in and change it every single time if you want to do a different like, not macro, uh, what they call fusion spell every time. So it's like it's interesting that something from 1993 does this better than something in 1998. They're unfair comparisons, but it was just I was amused basically when I saw wow. oh combo skills and macros and like setting like predetermining the order of your characters yeah. kind of thing that was kind of interesting but uh back to air castle you fight a boss at the end who i am 100 percent sure was also in fantasy star one since him and because he recognizes rune and as lutz and they seem to know each other after you defeat la Chic, you get the torch from the from gremio's temple uh i believe gremio's temple collapses but the priest is is all too happy to lend you the torch uh, and you use that to burn through those annoyingly immortal trees that were blocking Garabrek Tower and can get into Bar- Garabrek Tower, which is not a tower so much as a living horror show. Right? Like, yeah. like the, yeah, like the meat circus in Ugh. Psychonauts or something. It looked horrible. It, it reminded me of, you know, the bit in Breath of Fire 4, which is not a meat or a tower, like, with, but when oh, Nina's uh, sister is like, yeah you, yeah, you meet the character who is like, who is like a, who's been turned into a fleshy monster that takes up an entire oh. building. 
Yeah, yeah that was. That I, was that. I love a flesh dungeon, but mm-hmm. this was like, yeah, this was really gross. Yeah, it, it, it was shades of like Splatterhouse and and other yeah. icky games like that. Like even even the treasure boxes are no longer the usual like silver or gold boxes you find. They're like these slimy, rusted over things, and it was just like, ugh. Opening opening doors is just like parting parting like flesh cobwebs. It's just like oh no. But like, and, and the, there's no explanation and also, for it. Either. And and every floor looks the same except for some that are weirdly smokier than others. And yeah. so I, I got a I got a little bit stuck in these you know elevators that look like rib cages um, mm. a couple times, and I, I got lost the first time I tried to go through it. But I so I escaped, healed, regrouped, went back in. Uh, and I, again, I never got a game over the sing- a single time playing this game, but I did have to like you know teleport out, go back in, teleport out, go back in a couple times in a couple dungeons. Getting to the top of Garrowberg Tower is a little bit of a challenge because the again I think the they up the difficulty of the random encounters here, and it's a little bit confusing to navigate. And at the top of it is another dark force, which you might remember from uh, a couple dungeons ago. At the mm-hmm. where 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 did we fight the first dark force? It wasn't uh, it, it wasn't in nervous. It was on the, the satellite. The satellite. satellite. Uh, yeah. It started with a K. Was it Quran or Zelen? No, the second, the, the first one you said, Quran. Yeah, Quran. Yeah, 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 yeah. At the end, in the Quran satellite, and you know the, your characters have an understandable reaction. Huh? Wait, wait a second. I thought we beat Dark Force, and Rune's like, "Well, I beat Dark Force a thousand years ago. I don't know what's going on." <laughs> uh, Grand Cross definitely works on this dude, but it's a you know a lot of darkness and lightning spells, a mm. medium challenging boss fight. Uh, at the end, your characters regroup a little bit and are and uh, get they get an emergency signal from Motavia. Although uh, Dizolus does seem like that the uh, that that the blizzard has ended and uh, and sunshine's returned, so at least there's a small victory there. But, uh, yeah. but Roger was right. Yeah, the Ro- whole time. Roger was right the whole long, and Roger got better, but it still needs some more bed rest before he can join you. And Kira returns mm-hmm. to the Esper Manor, so you're down to a party of four again. Uh, you return to Motavia after the distress call. You talk to Demi. Demi can't rejoin you either. Uh, and now the game opens up a little bit because all of the side quests have unlocked at the guild, and uh, you have you're given a hovercraft at the very beginning that's, that lets you finally go over oceans and explore the rest of Motavia. Um, let's talk about those side quests a little bit because uh, in the first half of the game they do unlock a couple. If you go to the uh, guild town Aido uh, and visit the guild, they give you side quests that have money rewards, some more significant than others. <laughs> And uh, allow you to, you know, get some extra materials and extra story moments. And I think some of them are among the more interesting story bits in the whole game. Uh, like one of the ones in the second half of the game where you have to um, uh, find two girls that uh, went to the big city but didn't understand how money worked because they had a sh- they led a sheltered life, and you have to pay their <laughs> you, have, you have to pay their bail, which is equal to your reward for the mission, which is you know <laughs> amusing if annoying, and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, there's a you meet a guy who is um, who was raising birds in a or rappies, which which are some kind of bird rabbit things uh, <laughs> in in a nearby cave, but they're destroying the crops, which is making him ostracized within the village. But he refuses to to stop the birds, so you you beat up the birds. He implores you don't kill them, and then, <laughs> and he apologizes, but you get no money out of that one either. It's uh, yep. so cute as well. They're in a, they're called Chirpus <laughs> in Fantasy Star Three, aren't they? Okay. They're in that game, and I think they are in most games going forward as well. Like they definitely remember them from Fantasy Star Online at some point. So. I sort of could feel that these were the Chocobos or Rabbites or traditional early enemies of a previous Fantasy Star game. Yeah, but the they, they sort of they sort of gave them their own dungeon and own boss fight for Fantasy yeah. Star 4, which, which is nice, but... 
that was me making some assumptions and not really having any real knowledge of it. I, I just love the design of the Rappies in general. Like, <laughs> they, are, they are just the cute little fat chocobos that you want a plushie of, who, of, of whose one attack is to look at you with their big beady eyes and, like, do one damage. Right, yeah. They really stand out as well, because, like, you don't really fight any normal, organic animal, like, mammal, bird, anything. Like, for the rest of the game, it's, like, aliens and big bugs and even bigger bugs and And robots and and shadow knights. Yeah. yeah, and now you just got these little birds, which I think yeah. are really cool. The side quests are really cool. Like some of the early ones, like there were really stupid ones. Like you have to go and save someone's dog, and oh, you have to go and buy this particular pastry to go and get it out from somewhere. Or there's I the couldn't find that pastry. I had to check a guide for it. It was a, yeah, it, it's, it's, <laughs> a, it, it's in a bakery that's like off of the map in one town. Yeah, you have to go like round the side of it, and it's yeah. like, come on. Yeah. yeah, and then there's the one where you have to. Oh, there's something with like a boy goes down a hole to try and do something, mm-hmm. and he's been swallowed up by a big snail, and I don't know. It's just, yeah, there's some cool references to previous games as well, like mm-hmm. the Rappy quest, and the, the, I think one of them. The last refers, one. The, the yeah. last one is definitely a reference because it's about. Uh, it's. Uh, it's one of those tech facility dungeons, which are per- honestly my favorite kind of dungeon in this game because they they yeah. they have the coolest music and um and, and and feel a little bit less monotonous than the big caves or whatever the hell you want to call Garbok Tower. Uh, but th- this one was called Vahal Fort, which I think was a location from a previous uh, Fantasy Star game. It has all of Ren's best equipment in it, so definitely that yeah. that makes it worth checking out immediately. And uh, I think it's also Demi's best equipment, but because the the androids share a lot of the same materials. But at the end, you meet an AI named Daughter, and you get some backstory that there was an AI named Mother, which seems like a villain from a previous Fantasy Star, but yeah. I don't know for Mother sure. Brain. Mother Brain. Mother, Mother Brain, Brain okay. from Fantasy Star 2. Yeah. Ah, from Fantasy, Star, Fantasy Star 2, starring Samus from Metroid. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, or, and Robo from Chrono Trigger. Uh, yeah. Which... <laughs> in the future but anyway uh so they mentioned that there was a daughter project where they sort of created the new ai to hopefully take over the maintenance of all of motavia's systems but uh the project was shelved daughter is sort of incomplete or a uh or is she's an incomplete prototype mm-hmm. which which she's not aware of so when when ren tells her this in his very matter of fact emotionless manner Daughter does not react well and and sends mon- and sends some robots after you, which you know aren't hard if you uh, because you have a couple really powerful electricity spells by now out of Rune and Ren, but it, it's weirdly tragic where uh, you basically confront an AI with an uncomfortable truth and she reacts very defensively. I, I say she only because only because she's called Daughter, uh, and she it, she like begs not to be turned off, but you sort of have to turn her off and it was like I was like oh this was an unexpectedly yeah uh you know dark bittersweet end to this side quest yeah <laughs> at least i got 80 uh, at least i got eighty thousand uh fantasy star money out of it so so funny about that you do not actually have to go to the guild to start this one you oh. can do this oh. this this last quest can be done pro bono and in in sort of ps4 community like fandom communities around the years um it's it's seen as the morally correct thing to do is to not take the reward version of this because yeah. well because daughter I was just so I am I am making the morally incorrect decision because <laughs> eight, eighty thousand um, Meseta me, yeah Meseta is worth uh, eight star dues and I care much yes. more about eight star yes. dues than uh, than 
getting them, making the morally Morals. right decision in a game that doesn't have a morality system. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that makes sense, though. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, it is cool. They do they do reflect on... Actually, they do this with all the quests, don't they? They always have like a little bit of dialogue when you hand the quest into the guild. They're always like, oh, what if we did the right thing? Well, this kind of stuff isn't really the best thing for us to do. And they do that with this quest as well, which mm-hmm. is just... Yeah, it's really cool. And after you are satisfied with exploring... Um, both of the planets and done whatever side quests and bu- buying stuff, whatever you want to do. The next place to go to is Soldier's Temple, and you get the character with the least backstory in the whole game joining your party, <laughs> Seth, who is a uh, an ar- an archaeologist or historian who prefer who proffers compliments a lot is maybe mm-hmm. his biggest uh, personality trait. Yes. I mean this is a this is a pretty basic dungeon to go through and yeah, it's like every floor, isn't it? He like stops, he's like, Oh, you're so strong and Chaz is like a little bit unsure. Everyone else is just happy yeah. to have him along kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um they're going after oh god, they're going after something to find where Oh Yeah, they're going after an, an the, item uh, that, an item that is that will uh direct them to Rykros. Thank yeah. you. And yes. uh and because Rykros is mentioned to them by the people in Gremio's temple after after you uh after you um take down Garobarak Tower. Uh mm-hmm. but and but uh, they're not really sure what Rykros is or uh or, or what's important about it, but they know that it, that it's the key to stopping Dark Force. Right. And that's um right. at the end of the dungeon, uh you I forget what the item is called, but you get an item that basically is uh that basically emits a it's like a wand or a baton or a torch that emits a light. And right at when they after you get the item, Seth turns into Dark Force. It's un it, it's <laughs> it's unclear to me if Seth was an agent of Profound Darkness all along, or if Profound Darkness sort of reached out with an invisible tentacle and turned this innocent man into dark into a Dark Force avatar. I'm not. I am fifty fifty on that. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think there's consensus either. Like, I don't think anyone actually knows which way it went. Right. And there's there's been a lot of fandom back and forth about it. Yeah, yeah, I totally feel like understandable. Just, yeah, I feel like it's just very random. Um, I, it does kind of like hammer home that Dark Force is kind of everywhere now, and it's just there's like it's it. He's been buried away and hidden away in a couple of dungeons, but this one it's like it can literally be a person now, kind of thing. So yeah. it's like yeah, kind of in a kind of an, an kind of an Agent Smith Smith situation where the Matrix can yeah. turn any person connected to the Matrix into an Agent Smith. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I, yeah. but they're about to explain it anyway. Um, as soon as we we get into the right. profound darkness stuff, so right. That's um, right. Yeah, but yeah I mean you, that... you learn it very soon once you get to Rikros. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say that fight as well was kind of difficult. At least that one you can save before. Mm-hmm. But the annoying thing is, is you've only got four party members, and you've only got four party members for a while, and like. And you, it's just yeah, this this version of Dark Force does more damage than the rest of them because it's more physically based. So yeah, mm-hmm. and you, you just, might, it was a little bit annoying. And you might not expect it because you go into the temple, which is and Seth, as an archaeologist, wanted to explore, check out the temple. Was his whole reason for uh, visiting, uh, his whole reason for accompanying you. Uh, and then you get the item and you leave the temple. It doesn't feel like a boss fight. Like there's no. No. It, it, I mean, I mean, as RPG players, we're used to seeing. Oh, okay, the hallway's opening up. Oh, okay, this feels like the end of the area. Like. Yeah, like, and like, like every <laughs> boss before it, you've had like a bit of dialogue to go. Like, oh yeah. no, I can feel some energy from here or something. Or you've seen like dark forces sprite in the background, but this one's just like, you leave the temple, 
and there's a cutscene, and oh no, the man's exploding, and yep. oh no, it's Dark Force. Oops. And it's, I, I think, I, I thought it was maybe a little harder than the one in Garabark Tower. Uh, yeah. It, it's not as long a dungeon to deal with before fighting it, but uh, it's, like you said, it deals more damage. You only have four party members. I mean, they're, they're the good, they're the best four non-Raja party members, so it's still, uh, <laughs> you're still all right. Um, but, at, but after this, like, you you still you get the idea that there isn't a one there isn't one dark force dark uh, dark force probably won't die until you learn the secret behind it, and uh, and then you you go back to the space station you realize that the item you got from the soldier's temple I apologize I forget what it's called because my memory it's the arrow is really... prism, right ah oh, that's it and uh, and uh, basically you do some triangulating Ren does his thing and uh, you understand that the arrow prism is directing. Uh, that beam of light to a completely undetectable fourth planet in the Algo system. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you fly out there and Rykros is that planet. Like, you, you, like Rykros was a vague concept before and now it's, oh, it's a planet and on this planet is the secret to defeating Dark Force. Yep. And uh, the, be- the, uh, the caretaker of Rykros um, wants to test you before um, divulging his secrets to you. You have to do- uh, visit two towers uh, the Tower of Courage and the Tower of Strength. Uh, they're two medium-sized dungeons that have a bunch of good end-game equipment in them, so you definitely want to check these towers out. Mm-hmm. And um, annoyingly, I mentioned the, this before, but annoyingly the bosses are light elementals, so uh, a few of your light skills won't really work on them, including Grand Cross. Yep. If you did the weapons facility earlier on, though, you should have a couple of good skills for Ren, and that's really where you want to go, I think. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you want to. I think one of the bosses is more magic focused, and one is more physical focused. But using yeah. your using your best attacks that aren't light attacks will basically get the job done, um, and, and it helps to. Uh, if, well, hmm, I, I'm not sure if if because. Uh, the silver tusk item for Rika is light elemental, and it's really awesome the whole game because almost everything is weak against light by the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. But I'm not sure if that affected her in this dungeon or not because I, I think she was still doing okay damage for me. And I never unequipped yeah. that thing. She was always my highest level as well. Like, I don't know whether she's just got a higher level, like, growth or whether she just died less than everybody else. But her, yeah, she was like, I think for me she was like both. four levels ahead of everyone. Yeah, I think her growth both, pattern it, is faster. And she has a higher she has a higher growth rate, and she has a um, good defenses and good HP, which give her, which you know makes her just more survivable in general. Again, she was my favorite character consistently, both from a personality and skill set, and uh, um, and like efficacy rating. But anyway, um, uh, those in, those bosses are weak against light, but they're they weren't that difficult. Uh, and after you defeat those, the uh, the guy in the in the middle temple of Rykros tells you all about. Uh, Profound Darkness, which is uh, basically the Algol system was created in a uh, battle between the Profound Darkness and the Great Light, which the Great Light won and sealed away the Profound Darkness. Yeah. Uh, and, and the Great Light created the Algol system and everything that existed there and then left, presumably, yeah, just, to another just, star system. Just hecked off. Just hecked off. And, like, mm-hmm. Chaz's reaction out. to that was my reaction. It's like, wait a minute. I have to fight for some jerk who just, like, decide to decide to go away like pretty Why? much what yeah Who yeah is this um, guy yeah 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 chaz has a moment of i don't know a moment of clarity or a moment of personality you could even say because he doesn't have a ton of personality for most of the game but he <laughs> uh he basically just he he expresses anger like like mark said um why am i fighting for some absentee god 
uh, that doesn't care about its creation and has abandoned us? Why, why should yeah. we be fighting in its name when it has done nothing for us for thousands of years? And, right. uh, and, and Rune talks him down a little bit and, uh, and directs him to the holy sword that, is, uh, that has been set aside for the hero of legend. Uh, Chaz picks it up. It's called the Elsidion and has visions of every previous fantasy star hero, all of the chosen ones from a thousand years ago and two thousand years ago. If you're a fantasy star player, this is probably really cool. But for me, it was yeah. like I was like, oh, look at all this anime hair. That's it's cute. still they, it's they still don't, cool. It is. Yeah, they don't include fantasy star three. <laughs> no, they don't, do they? Because no, fantasy star three was not was not one of those thousand year conflicts. It was it was in between two and four. It's true, yeah. Yeah. But also because it was made by a separate team and it it always reads a little bit of like shade of you took this project away from us and now <laughs> yeah. we have it back. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a spin-off, isn't it, in a way. It happens tangentially to the yeah. other games and yeah, it's, it's like it's, it's the dawn yeah. of East of yeah. Fantasy Star, sure. Yes. Uh, but um a- after you learn about Profound Darkness, uh you return to Motavia. And every character that you had the whole game, minus Alice, uh, basically joins you in this in the space uh, in the space launch hub, and you have your choice of fifth characters uh, for the for the end game. And I naturally chose Raja, but uh, <laughs> but uh, there's it, it's cool that you have your. I mean, Alana, this is a bit of a Skies of Arcadia moment. Like, oh, we're at the end. We a have our bit. we have our core characters, but we get to choose our final one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much bad. so. I I did the same as you. I picked Roger. Um, I guess because then you've kind of got Rika for extra damage consistently, haven't you? And, and for casting Roger. Saner. Yeah, and for casting Saint Fire, if that's mm-hmm. what it's called. Yeah, um, Saint Fire. Roger's yeah. like <laughs> magic spell. Um, but yeah, like yep, it's, a, it's a good I, holy I, spell. It's, I think it's about about the same as FS, except I think Rune has higher magic damage. Yeah. in general. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But yeah, like it is a really cool moment. That, like they just dump him. I like the way everybody just kind of turns up. Like um, Kyra and Raja accompany you back on the ship, and then yeah. everybody else is just like, "Yeah, we're here now." And I was like, "Oh, that's <laughs> nice." It's like, oh, Han, you showed up. Huh. Right? Yeah. Hey, Roger, you want to come along? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I would have preferred that Han's girlfriend join us instead of Han. Yeah. Yeah, he's, she's cool. I, he, I do love... She's cool. He's annoying. Saya, that's her name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love going back to her classroom and reading all the books, by the way. Just, like, all the... Like, the, the Golden Axe Adventure coloring book or whatever they have in the bookshelves. Oh, my God. Yeah, she sounds like oh, the best wow. elementary school teacher ever. Oh, right? Yeah, right? Yeah, that's great. Oh, my God. Um, but then we have the extra tower. Right, the tower of, uh, is it rage? Yes, uh, anger. Wrath? Anger, rage. Anger. Yeah. anger, anger, I think it's yeah. anger, yeah. Um, and that one, uh, there's a, a little bit more endgame equipment in it. It's a lot like the Towers of Courage and Strength, but at mm-hmm. the end is a Phantom of Alice, uh, which you, you know, you defeat quickly, and, um, and Chaz has a moment where he just fumes to himself, uh, but then a spirit similar to the bosses in the previous towers appears and asks Chaz, "Hey, do you want the, do you want the power of rage? You want to be able to kill anything you want with your with your own strength?" And mm-hmm. the correct answer to that is no, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because uh, the the key to strength is letting go of your anger and doing, and 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 you know doing what you need to do with a clear mind. And if you and if Chaz communicates that to this to this phantom fella, then he gives you the ultimate uh, one of the ultimate spells, Megid. Which is definitely yeah. you know the same route as as Megiddo from the SMT games. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. you know, I, I a yeah, some, some folkloric background. 
I think it's a biblical term originally because it's an actual right. valley somewhere. Probably. Yeah, I've heard of it before. Yeah. I mean, that fight's only Chaz, but it's pretty easy, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, like, it's, 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 I mean, it's, it's, the fight itself is trivial, but t making sure to tell the uh, Phantom uh, no and not yes and letting go of your anger and grief uh, yeah. and, and doing what's right is, is the important decision. And, but, I mean, that, uh, that Migid spell was, you know, definitely a factor in the final battle, as strong as hell. Oh, yeah. yeah, the yeah. final boss can use it as well right back at you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I, I actually have a fun little, like, side story to this. Um, so I didn't do the Tower of Anger originally because it's, it's optional. And mm. I didn't know for years that it existed, but I would look up sprites from Fantasy Star 4 on, like, the Spriters resource, and I was always confused, like, where is Alice's, like, enemy sprite used? Yeah. And and like I, I eventually just broke down and read a guide and like did it myself, but like it's it's so strange to be fighting Alice for the you know, the five minutes that you do. And yeah, like it's a really cool yeah. it's a really cool moment actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it's really um it's one of the few times where the game uses in game engine and uh and surface dialogue to communicate a big plot point instead of one of those manga style cutscenes. Yeah, which that's is true. Which is interesting because they could have made a cool cutscene out of that. Yeah, but instead they maybe because it was a side quest. I don't know. Maybe they ran on a budget. Maybe it was just a side quest. Maybe they just wanted it to be sort of about Chaz and about the fight, and and uh, and and maybe not have to make another one of those. Mm -hmm. But the end result is um, you get a a moment with uh, Chaz grieving at the loss of Alice again and a powerful spell. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's. It, definitely a cool optional moment. I, I was checking a non-spoiler guide for most of the second half of this because I wanted to make to make sure to beat the game in time for the podcast. Uh, <laughs> but also, this is the point in the game uh, where I I had struggled a little bit at the end. I think uh, I had Rika at level forty and everyone else in the thirty-five to thirty-seven range uh, when I unlo when I unlocked uh, the battle for profound darkness, and I decided I'm just going to sit down and level up a bunch. So I I, <laughs> yeah. I threw on a podcast and got I think. I think Rika to forty seven, Chaz to forty five, uh, mm. before going to the before going to take on Profound Darkness. I actually, you know, I think Rika was forty eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chaz, Chaz forty five to mid forties. Yeah, I think, I, think right. I, I went. For, I basically had everyone gain five to six levels just before the final fight, and the the final fight was easy for me. But I'm sure if I it uh, the challenge level would be more reasonable if or at least uh, higher if I had gone straight there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, can we can we talk about this final dungeon? Because yeah, I, I, like, it is blimey, it, it is psychedelic. Yep, I mean it hurt my head. It's, it, <laughs> it is every Earthbound background as a stage. Oh my god, it is foresight, isn't it? Yeah. Literally, yeah. yeah. And just invisible yeah. Yeah. buildings that uh, that are that are barely visible until you're right near them. Uh, so it can be a little bit frustrating to navigate. Uh, it has it doesn't have a lot of treasure, but it does have dead ends and uh, some confusing yeah. moments. I mm -hmm. didn't find it too frustrating to get through. Actually, I managed to get through it pretty easily. But yeah, like it's hard to look at. Yeah, it's no, no. very hard to look at. Yeah, like the, I, I, the layout of it. About people, yeah, I, it's, I'm concerned for people who have fo like suffer from photosensitivity and things mm -hmm. like that because that's not an easy. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. The, the, the layout wasn't very uh, wasn't very unfriendly, but the uh, the visuals of it. I mean, like you said, photos. Someone that's photosensitive. Or has difficulty parsing, like you know, like different uh, layers in in things, like you, you know, like 16-bit uh, games don't always have great transparency layers. 
Mm-hmm. So if, if you if you struggle with visibility on those, that this would be bad too. Some of the the smoky areas in Garaburg Tower might be like that too. Yeah. So yeah, the final boss, Profound Darkness, uh, goes through a couple of profound transformations. I'm not sure what they all mean necessarily, but mm-hmm. it's it, it's mostly just a, a twisted uh, abomination style final boss that you know we've all seen before. But it uh it's it's cool that it's multi stage and escalating at least um it, it brought the drama as a final boss. Mm-hmm. I think I think what I love about it is that well first of all it starts off as sort of like the like the dogs from the thing amalgamation where it's just like multiple <laughs> heads and 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 uh, teeth and eyes and like goo, um and it and, and then becomes more armored as time goes on. But the thing that struck me was this is sort of an inversion of what Square Enix tends to do with its bosses, where you go from human to kind of, you know, all-out, I guess, transcendent deity monster thing. And this one got more human as time went on. Yeah, it does. It becomes like a female, bo- like a typical female body with you know everything out kind of thing, and <laughs> yeah, and, and and the biggest shoulder pads, like just these shoulder plates that could eat God. It's mm-hmm. the nineties. Yeah, <laughs> it's not too difficult. Again, I think I was around the same level mm-hmm. as you, Mike, um, and. Yeah, I I had the um I had the macro set up for like what's that ult? There's like an ultimate spell where you use the main four characters like best skills and it does like a really I think it's nine 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 yeah. nine 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 damage and that was that you know that shaved off considerable amount of the last four. That's yeah, like mega destruct yeah. or something. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, I think it's Meggy something else. I did um, I did see that skill in the li- yeah. in the list when I was doing a little bit of side research, but I sort of just stuck to my. Uh, single target attacks, Grand Cross, so I could have um, characters heal or boost uh, w- um, or repair themselves in Ren's case when when they needed to. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, I- uh, sticking to, I mean, I I, this, I use the same strategy for most of the boss fights: just a turn to boost, and then using your best attacks while intermittently healing and taking mind of things like uh, androids have to heal themselves or use repair kits. <laughs> uh, they're like like once you sort of figure out a strategy, there isn't a lot of unique strategy to apply in this game. Uh, well, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's nothing like I, I wouldn't call any of the bosses gimmick encounters or or needing no. to or or even a, a puzzle that you have to solve before before beating them. Yeah, it's uh, it's very straightforward. It's there's weird elements to it, like just how unusual some of the spells are, and how I think there's seven or eight elemental attacks that they don't tell you about. Mm-hmm. Um, but Overall, the boss encounters and the combat in this game, while it, it wasn't you know that interesting uh, at a mechanical level, it's it's mostly fun and and you never it never felt like it was betraying you. Like it, you were always at least at the level of your enemies, and mm-hmm. the, there's a lot of fun macros and combos to play around with. Like this was, it was a slightly easy final encounter, but it was a cool final encounter, and they give you a lot of toys to play with by the time your characters mm-hmm. leveled into the forties. And that music. Yeah. The music yeah. was the so final, good. The is final boss Uzo? music is good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all the music's good. Um, I think I touched on it earlier, but like the Air Castle dungeon music. Um, there's another dungeon as well. I think it's one of the uh, plants that you go to earlier in the game. Um, I think it might be the one you get Rika from, actually. Um, oh, the bio the plant? Mu- yeah. The music's rearranged from the original Fantasy Star, so there's mm-hmm. a couple of like musical oh, cool. throwbacks. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, um, but I really, really love this soundtrack so much. Yeah, the, it's so, so of its time. I, I really great. like the tech facility dungeons. Like, like part of the aesthetic of this game is uh, advanced technology facilities and spaceships in a backdrop of barren, almost post-apocalyptic planets. Planets. Yeah. So things like it, the. Uh, the, the bio plant, the, tect- the tectonic facility, the weapons facility, and Valhall Fort were just just a really cool look and feel to those dungeons. That they were yeah, they were my favorites. Yeah, it really effectively bre- like blends fantasy and sci-fi. Like I don't think anything else has ever. You get like RPGs that are like, oh, we're sci-fi RPGs, not absolutely side-eyeing Star Ocean at all here. Like <laughs> Star um, Ocean is like, tells you they're a sci-fi RPG, but then it just becomes a normal uh, fan- like a uh, fantasy planet RPG. Yeah, just 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 sticks you on a mud rock and gives you a sword. Pretty much, yeah. But this does the same. Like you've got swords and things, but um, like you've got, not only have you got swords, like they're laser swords at certain points, and you've mm-hmm. got boomerangs that have got lasers, and you've got claws, and there's guns, and you know you've got a mage with you who uses a staff. So it's got, but it really effectively blends it because like, you know, um, all of these planets are kind of withering away. Like it's post, you know, the end of Fantasy Star Two, which I'm going to spoil. Palmer gets destroyed and essentially mm-hmm. like everything is reset mm-hmm. and now a thousand years later everything else is struggling again so like Matavia is they're trying to regrow but like the plants and everything but they're not doing too great so it's got this like they're trying to rebuild some kind of like utopia I suppose um, and, and also and- uh, um, LaRouf tells you that the seal on profound darkness were the three planets in the Algo system and the, combi- yeah. the combination of Parma being gone yeah. and the 1,000-year weakening of the barrier that happens is is the opening that Profound Darkness needed for all of the bad things happening in Fantasy yeah. Star 4, starring, starting with everything Zeo did in the first half of the game. I, I really love that that is, like, the background for why you encounter Dark Force so many times. Like... Not not only has Dark Force been, in the past, sort of like a symbol of the weakening of the seal, but now it's mm. so weak that he can turn up multiple times. Whereas, like, in the, right. in the past it was like, you know, once in a thousand years he turns up, it's a problem, sure, but get the heroes together, he's done. Now it's like, no, 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 no. This is a problem several times bigger. And yeah, it's, it, it, it. They basically justify Dark Force's existence by saying he's the agent or the avatar of something bigger. And because this is the best opening that Profound Darkness has ever had, um, Dark Force can revive and reload and attack again. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, like like three times over the pa- over the course of a few hours. Yeah, yeah. Of I'm gameplay. <laughs> so so it it recontextualizes Dark Force in a way that is. I think pretty cool. Like it, it makes it makes the conflict in Fantasy Star One and Two maybe seem a little bit more trivial than what's going on here. Because mm-hmm. again, like this is the end of the millennium. This is the the cap off to that uh, to that story, I guess, or or, yeah. or the, the 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 Great Light versus Profound Darkness story. But it it adds weight to the final conflict and is yeah. and is cool. Like Profound Darkness is feels like a genuine threat at the end. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really see many series like kind of embrace their history as well as fantasy star 4 does mm-hmm. like i think we discussed this last episode right we said like i don't think it feels overwhelming as somebody who's never played fantasy star 1 or 2 or 3 like i don't feel like i'm missing out on tons but i can see like the re- references and like i mean rika herself is a reference to is it nay yeah, in fantasy star 2 who is a newman as well mm-hmm. and like there are things that you can pick up on and you can tell that there's like this great sense of millennium history like like from a thousand years ago and things and 
but like it do, it does it really well and it does mm-hmm. it and we talked about how it's delivered in game and yeah like I, I i don't think i've really like other games can do it but they do it in a way that makes you feel like you have to have experienced them or yeah. played them or read, read extensive wikipedia articles on or something like that this is just kind of like it really celebrates the entire series like even if fantasy star 3 is kind of to the side kind of thing like i i read an article um i think it was on kotaku or somewhere um where someone was saying like this is like one of the best examples of utopia being realized or trying to build up utopia and acknowledging this kind of like where the previous games had been like in better situations or in worse Mm -hmm. situations and like it just really it really hammered home to me like yeah this is a really great way of like celebrating the entire series rather than just being like oh i'm gonna pluck one or two themes out of your previous game or oh it's a direct continuation you have to have played digital devil saga one or something like that (laughs) i I was thinking i was thinking specifically of the kiseki trails series if you if you jump if you jump in on trails of cold steel 2 which i finished a couple months ago you will be completely lost if you know nothing about cold steel 1 or sky or the uh or or crossbell Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, if you jump into Cold Steel 4 next week, kids, um, <laughs> I highly recommend you don't. <laughs> and, and if you play um, Dragon Quest 5 or 6, like when you get to the Zenithia stuff, uh, it, like, like you might be aware that Zenithia was in previous games and that there's a, a shared legacy here, but those worlds don't even resemble each other and they yeah. feel like completely right. standalone games that have magically the same floating castle in them. But Fantasy Star yeah. 4 is good on its own but it very openly acknowledges all three of its predecessors and cel- and celebrates them and gives you a little bit of an explainer or a little bit of a postmortem on them to put it to put everything happening in persona f- in in a fantasy star 4 in context i'm just getting every name wrong today i don't know what this is about but <laughs> it, yeah right. so it's it's a good version of a of a sequel that is you know that 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 takes advantage of storytelling techniques to create a setting that feels bigger than it is like there is the world of fantasy star is bigger than just fantasy star 4 and you can feel the size and impact and Mm -hmm. and lineage of it even if you haven't played the previous ones like me yeah right yeah this was a futuristic rpg that made uh what 16 17 years ago but i i feel like it held up like me having no background with the genesis no background with fantasy star I really enjoyed this thing, and it made me at least Fantasy Star curious, and definitely more interested in going to my Genesis Mini and listening to that Yuzo Koshiro tr- uh, menu track a lot <laughs> again. Hell yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, like, a bunch of people on this game, like, there's some pretty <laughs> hefty names. Yeah. Well, there's one, there's one very hefty name on there, <laughs> but there's a couple, like, everybody has sort of gone off to do other Sega projects. Like, You're um, talking about the the pro- ju- that, that producer lady who has, like, eight credits in the final staff role? Who won our Kodama? Yeah, who yeah? is our Kodama? <laughs> well, Phoenix Ray, yeah. Um, which is fun because like she started off at Sega as like a graphic designer for like Alex Kidd, the oh. original Fantasy Star, Altered Beast, and Sonic One and Two. And then like I think Fantasy Star Four was her first director's effort, and Jesus, that's a pretty good first director's yeah. effort. Um, and then she went on to direct uh, Magic Knight Ray Earth, which is maybe less said of the better. I'm not sure what the consensus is. Uh, like, people but like, like that game. I remember when I was um, when I I was, when I was perusing uh, very sketchy emulation and ROM sites like 15 years ago, people were trying to get pe- were people were trying to sell others on the on the Magic Knight Ray mm-hmm. Earth game. Yeah, it, oh, okay. it, yeah. it's not great. I, I've played it. It's, it has it's not it great, has its but fans. It's not, but it's least. definitely not bad. It's not a bad game. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 
All right. Um, but yeah, like, I think the main thing's really, like, she goes, she goes on to be a producer for, like, my favorite video game of all time, obviously, which I won't name for reasons, but you can see, like, there are there are things in Fantasy Star 4 that I noticed, and like you brought up Skies of Arcadia's like party system at the end, where you know everybody you've been with comes back at the end, and you pick who you want to take with you. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of shared DNA between those two games that I spotted. Like you know, you've got the vehicle segments, you've got like the kind of rebellious, adventurous spirit, and things like that. Like there's so many little yeah. things in there that um, Reiko took. Um, I, I think also like the the shared optimism of the cast. Uh, yes, definitely. Yeah, there's, there's just like a general positivity and a warmth that all the cast members have. E- you know, despite Rune and Chaz going at each other, that you, you can definitely <laughs> yeah, see. Yeah, friendly rivalry is good because Skies has that yeah. as well. Like you know, Vice and Ike are always bickering with yeah. each other for some reason, but they're fine really yeah. for different reasons. I but yeah. Uh, I, maybe this is an unpopular opinion, but my favorite character to pick at the end of Skies of Arcadia is always, always Drachma. Yeah, that's not. I don't think that's the worst decision ever. I think Gilda's probably the hardest <laughs> one to do it with because he doesn't mm. really have any defensive or like he's not the most. No, defensive. I, just, I just use Spirit Charge seventy-five yeah. percent of the time for Drachma. It's it's awesome. I love Drachma. Skies, exactly. Skies of Arcadia is great. Yeah, it is. Shame we can't podcast about it. We will as soon as there is a more accessible version, and I <laughs> promise you, you, that to you, Alana. And I, I don't mind. I don't mind saying that on the podcast either, because it's you've said it multiple times. Yeah, it's, it's a game I would love to play again. I played that game once in like 2003 and once in like 2006, and it was dope as hell both times. And in, in, fa- yeah. in fact, my GameCube copy is on loan to another RPG fan staff person who I hope enjoys the yeah. game. Yeah, mm. I she, know. Um, but yeah, it. Kodama also is behind the Seventh Dragon series. So. Oh yeah, yeah, she is. I yeah, remember, so I... she's got a pretty hefty. I think she got um a, like a in just a big industry award like last year, and I think it's well deserved. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's really cool for me to have like like my favorite video game was produced by a really like a positive influence in the industry, and also like at a time where like. It was still kind of a boys thing. Yeah, there are, there aren't like, a ton of women in director or producer roles. Uh, even g- still, yeah, yeah. Even, even today, but going far back is to the mid '90s. That's that's impressive. Yeah, it's a really cool thing to have. Let's talk about what we're doing in the retro encounter near future. Uh, next week is going to be, um, I think the episode posts on October 29th or 30th, which is very close to Halloween. So we're having a very spooky episode all about vampires. To uh, to coincide with a feature about RPG vampires uh, that I think is posting on Halloween itself. So we're going to have a very bloodthirsty final week of October on RPG fan in general and Retro Encounter in particular. <laughs> then uh, yes. then coming in November, we're doing an, epi- an episode dedicated to Finding Paradise, the Kongao visual novel, 16-bit storytelling game that's a, of which A Bird Story was a prequel to. Mm. It's the... It's, it's the uh, second game in the trilogy that starts with To the Moon, then Bird Story as like a side as a guide and chapter, and then Finding Paradise uh, as its as its second game in the trilogy, with the last game coming uh, later this year. Uh, so, uh, in anticipation of that uh, third Kangao game, we're doing an episode on Finding Paradise, and after that, we are doing two episodes on Final Fantasy X to the Girl Power sequel to Final Fantasy X about looking for a man. Hmm. 
Hmm. Not all the time. All right, that's fair. It's a part of it, yeah. <laughs> I, I, that, that was an oversimplification on my part, but I also haven't started the game yet because I gotta, I, I still gotta finish Finding Paradise. So, uh, but yeah, a few weeks from now, you will get two episodes on Final Fantasy X two from us. We have plans for the rest of the year, but they're a little bit far off, so I don't want to talk about all of them yet. But if you have questions about our future plans or uh, suggestions for future episodes or whatever you want to ask, please email us retro at rpgfan.com. RPGfan has also many other ways to interact with us including message boards the facebook page an instagram page a twitter page a discord server a twitch channel with something streaming almost every day of the week uh and all of those venues are called either rpg fan or rpg fan com and the place where they all begin is rpgfan.com where you can also find three other podcasts random encounter about randomness every two weeks rhythm encounter about rpg music every two weeks and phoenix edge a weekly podcast mostly focused on current events you can review retro encounter or those other three podcasts on itunes or google play or podcast addict or whatever listening venue you choose please provide feedback it does help and we always appreciate it and all and speaking of appreciated feedback uh how can we how can you the listener Reach out to we, the panelists, directly, starting with you, Mark. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter, at uh, March of the North, and that's pretty much the best way, or you can uh, message me on the site. I'm just Mark at RPGFan.com. And Alana. Uh, same. Twitter's probably the best place for me. I am at Alana Hagues on there. Uh, if you want to email me, I am Alana H at RPGFan.com. And I sometimes lurk in the Discord as well. Um, I'm Alana on there, so just give me a DM or just at me on there. I'm usually in the podcast channel. So, yeah, be cool to talk. And for me, if you want to reach out to me directly, the best way to do so is also Twitter. I am at the Real Monsoon most of the time, at Evoker for Dogs other times. I am Monsoon Mike on RPG Fans Discord, and my email address is Solosi at RPGFan.com. But I also answer all of the emails for Retro at RPGFan.com. So Mark and Alana, thanks for guiding me through my first journey through a Sega game that isn't Golden Axe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I should say... My first Sega game from before 1999 that isn't multiplayer, because I have be- I have beaten a couple uh, I have played a couple Dreamcast games, mm. but uh, Power Stone. But, but again, I, I I had such little exposure to Genesis and Saturn that this really again that that's I I almost felt like I was you know I I use the phrase like going behind enemy lines playing the Genesis Mini and I and it it, it was. <laughs> It was foreign enough, and I have I had such old animosity uh, from that time that I, I think it was an apt analogy. But this was a perfect game to do it because it is a like top class RPG of its era, and it was a a, a blast playing the, um, a Fantasy Star game for the first time. It was great. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, I really am going to play the rest of the series eventually. But yeah, yeah it, definitely. It, it makes me want to go back and play number one again and just like slog <laughs> through that. Uh, Mark, <laughs> the way you were describing uh, Air Castle in Fantasy Star One makes me pretty sure I am not going to revisit Fantasy Star One <laughs> through Three and just and just keep my Fantasy Star memories very positive and it, from a top-down perspective in Fantasy <laughs> yeah, Star Four. Uh, I'll be honest, <laughs> but the Switch one's got the yeah. maps on it play, now. Play the so, Switch yeah. one; you won't get lost. It's it's actually and they've adjusted the difficulty a little, so it's not as punishing as it used to be. It is the ideal way to play mm. this. Uh, play Fantasy Star One. I think the ideal Fantasy Star experience is playing Fantasy Star 4 and none of the others. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, good night, and good luck.